Welcome to the Rebel Souls Podcast, where we flip the middle finger to the status quo. I'm your host, Shelley Paxton, lifelong rebel, liberator of souls, and author of Soulbatical, a corporate rebel's guide to finding your best life. Settle in as we dive deep with badass leaders who are rebelling for what matters most in life, business, and the world at large. I'm so happy you're here. Let's get this revolution started. This is a Soulfire production. Hello and welcome back, my fellow rebel souls. Happy Wednesday. Happy Rebel Hump Day. How are you liking this dropping on Wednesdays? Is this a soul inspiration that you were hoping for? I really hope so. I loved that as an idea to be with you midweek to just inject a little soul fuel into your lives. So here we are again. And you know, we're putting the rubble back in rubble souls. And one of the commitments I made is not only showing up more powerfully, but bringing like as if we could, you know, dial up the badass barometer anymore, but we are. And badass looks, you know, is all shapes and sizes and colors and creeds and all the technicolor yumminess that we are as a community. And what I love is surprising you all with someone who doesn't look like a rebel necessarily from the outside. They're message, their appearance, all of that doesn't necessarily sound, you know, rebellious and all the things. But I, I love surprising you. I love those people who are unexpected. It proves we can't judge a book by its cover. And my dear friend and longtime soul sister, Mandy Leto, who we get to talk with today is totally one of those people. You could look at Mandy and just be like, oh, she's so pretty and she, you know, blonde, petite, funny, smart, all those things. Like, you know, she's just got it all wrapped up in a pretty little bow and she must have the easiest life and all the things. Like screech, hit the brakes. No. And it's never the case. And I love that Mandy comes on. I invited her to come and vulnerably share her story and her journey because she's on a mission in the world to remind us that we are all enough, enough, and enough of being assholes to ourselves. Truly. And Mandy speaking from personal experience because. Man, I mean, one, she's one of the smartest humans that I know. She's also one of the most soulful humans I know. I have learned so much from her as she's been on the journey from... she's She's got her doctorate from Cambridge University, my friends. Like, okay, so smart tick. Then she went into investment banking. She was a director at a global investment banking firm. And... She became a mom. She's a wife. She has a book proposal, shopping that around right now. But you know what the most interesting part of Mandy's story is? Is the rock bottom that led her to where she is today and all of the juiciness that she shares with us. Because while all of that, like my story, might look incredible and polished and so accomplished on the surface, 
Mandy tells us what was really going on. Mandy realized like she was pushing herself so hard because her programming, her internal systems were just had her deep in this groove of being a perfectionist, an overachiever, a people pleaser, you know, all so she could get that, that affection and those accolades to try to fill that hole inside. You all know the one I'm talking about. We have that. We try to fill it, right? With things we become, frankly, addicted to. And we never really feel better. So Mandy shares her journey down that rabbit hole that led to her burning out and that led to adrenal fatigue where she literally could not get out of bed. This was a years-long recovery process. And it really led her on a journey to ultimately leaving investment banking becoming an entrepreneur, becoming a coach to high-level executives around the world who face similar kind of challenges, right? And she takes us, she just very, you know, openly and beautifully and rawly, is that a word, rawly? Shares her, shares her story of burnout and of adrenal fatigue and of recovering. And what did that look like? What did it look like for her to dismantle the, that old programming inside that was essentially destroying her? What did it look like to shift from being so led by her mind, right? To being like, you know, a head on some shoulders and forgetting about her body to shifting into her body shifting toward love and self-compassion and asking for help and being in community and being this beautiful reflection. And really, I mean, she shares the powerful lessons that she learned and some of the very practical tips that she still puts into play every day, what some of her non-negotiables are so that she can be compassionate with herself. And I love this conversation as a rally cry for all of us to stop being assholes to ourselves, to start to dismantle all of that programming and those voices, that inner critic that's tearing us apart. And I know we can't get rid of the inner critic but we can create a lot of awareness around that voice and start to shift it and start to invite other voices in. And Mandy gives us some great tips, some great resources. And it's just a really juicy, inspiring, vulnerable conversation between the two of us and the journey that we'll always be on. And uh, I'm so happy to be on it together. She is absolutely one of my lifelines, which we talk about. And I want you all to find that, right? I mean, the, one of the ways we become less of an asshole to ourselves is that we have really gorgeous people around us who are on similar journeys, who can reflect back our progress to us, who can be there for us, who we can walk together um, with. And that's it. This is so beautiful. I am honored to finally have Mandy on the podcast and to introduce her to all of you. So let's jump in. Oh my God, my dear Mandy. I'm so excited that we are finally in all caps doing this. Welcome to Rebel Soul, sister. 
thank you. It was worth the wait. I'm absolutely chuffed. And I've eaten a piece of chocolate and drunk a cup of tea. So I'm like caffeinated to the max. Oh my God. I love yeah. it. And, and I might have to act as your um, British to English, American English translator. Chuffed means really fucking excited, right? It absolutely <laughs> means really fucking excited, okay. so, which I am. <laughs> which I, which I am vocab. Oh my New God. Vocab. I love, I love British English. So like pepper it in just to keep us on our toes. How about that? All right. Done. So if you guys can't tell, Mandy doesn't have the accent formerly Canadian, but you've lived in London for what, over 20 years now? Since 1996. So a long time enough to be an honorary Brit or more like a down home Londoner. It's weird because when I go back to Canada, it doesn't feel like home. So I, yeah, I'm through and through a Londoner now. Yeah. I always think of you as through and through a Londoner too. And just a little secret for our fellow rebel souls who are listening in. Mandy and I have known each other for 20 plus years. I think I met you in like 1999. So probably not long after you moved to London. We have had a long and amazing connection that has only grown as you and I have both become entrepreneurs and we're on this crazy soul journey together. And I've learned so much from you. And I just have huge gratitude for our connection and friendship. Me too. And I've learned a ton from you and it just makes the whole journey feel less alone when there are other people kind of being battered by the same waves at different times, which is super useful. So I'm hugely grateful for you too. Yeah. I don't know what I would do. I call our little WhatsApp. We have an open WhatsApp uh, line between Mandy and I, which becomes like the phone a friend lifeline for both (laughs) of us multiple times a day and a week. So yes. And if you don't have that in your life, please commit to finding it. And I know we're going to get into so much juiciness, but Mandy, I have to start. You know, my signature question, you know, where we always kick these things off. What are you rebelling for? Aside from having a sisterhood WhatsApp call that you can leave 15 minute messages. Shelly is currently the reigning champion at 15 minutes, 36 seconds. Oh, uh, hashtag truth. <laughs> aside from that, oh, that's such a juicy question. I was thinking about that. Like, I have a list. The flavor of the day, what I'm currently rebelling for is being better advocates for ourselves, particularly when the you know what hits the fan and our default position is to go into being assholes to ourselves, criticizing, being negative, pulling out those examples of remember that thing that happened in 1977 and like dredging up all this old evidence for why we suck and why we'll never be able to pull off the thing and just remaining mired in not enoughness, which is such a scam that I'm hoping that we can crack open in this conversation. I don't have a three-step plan or even a 10-step plan, but I'm rebelling for having our own backs and just being nicer to ourselves. Even if we can't love ourselves and sort of walk off into the sunset, we can be a lot nicer to ourselves than we are and find our steps forward one day at a time. Amen, sister. And I love you. You and I say this to each other all the time, right? Because I might leave you a message and I'm being a complete asshole to myself. I'd be like, oh my God, I fucked this thing up or I'm beating myself up about something. And you are the voice 
that I want to learn to embrace, that I want my inner voice and my inner critic to learn from. It's like, why do we talk to ourselves in ways that we wouldn't talk to our worst enemy? So yeah, let's, let's dig into that. Where, where does, where does that, let me ask you this. I was going to say, where does that come from? But I'm like, oh shit, we'll sit here for seven days and try to like (laughs) peel that massive, you know, steroidal onion. Why don't I ask you this? Like, I know that this is something that's been particularly challenging for you. Can you give us a little of your story, like your journey that led you to enough of this shit already? Like I am worthy. I am enough. And really learning how to practice this in your own life. But clearly like, like the rest of us, you kind of had to take a few tumbles, right? Oh, I like how you've put that a few tumbles. (laughs) How about like falling out of airplanes with no parachutes, <laughs> like splatting several times? Uh, I think a lot of this stuff comes back to us from childhood, right? And I'm not going to go in like the whole merry journey from when I was six years old, this happened. But when I've worked with various healers and helpers and shamans and danced naked and conversed with my vagina and been walked on by a former Navy SEAL and, you know, sat on mountainsides in Sedona and talked to my female lineage and all the other things I've done in this journey to reclaim my wholeness and take all the bullshit stories out of the way that I've accumulated, like all this, the clutter, yeah. the mental clutter and the beliefs all those things that i did to shed the onion as you as you say it's really been for me an unlearning it's an unlearning of all the ways that i tried badly to protect myself because going back to childhood like a lot of these mechanisms when we're told as a kid that we're not good enough or we're not achieving enough or we're not getting enough A's at school or we're not cute enough or we're not talented enough whatever it is we find ways in accordance with what our skill set is at the time right so i mean if we can bring so much darn self compassion to our 4 5 6 year old selves that had to learn on the hoof this is what i need to do to be loved. And we don't have the whole psychological underpinning, like, yes, it's important to be part of a tribe. And if we get cast out from the tribe, you know, it means certain death and all of that stuff that we read later on. But if I can now, as a 50-year-old woman who's still in the messy middle of all of this, look back at that little kid who grew up on a farm in the thickets of Northern Ontario with cows and pigs and chickens and an alcoholic dad and who was a you know a high achiever himself who kind of foisted the mantle like you must achieve because we've come from nothing it it allows me to give that little girl so much compassion and i think for most of my adult journey the hot little motor behind my rage and anger and righteousness and all those feelings that kept those bullshit stories alive that i had to be someone to be someone i was angry with my dad he was like the, the target for my laser beam eyes. Like you are the reason that my life sucks. And now as I've become older and maybe slightly wiser on occasion, I've mellowed a lot. I've mellowed in that I understand that he was doing the best that he could with the skills that he had at the time. And 
I had to make a decision at some stage to continue to use perfectionism and overachieving as those techniques that I had used to try to stay in the good graces of my father and my family and my teachers and my mentors and and in university and all the other places where we're actually praised for overachieving. It's like the, the most insidious compulsion or addiction even. Like I'm going to get so radical as call it an addiction. This is a behavior we learn as young kids to protect ourselves and to avoid so we get praise and if we can't get praise at least we're avoiding criticism. So it's completely a protective mechanism and then we can get so damn smug about it because we get praised for it. So if you were like addicted to gambling, sex, drugs, rock and roll, cocaine, shopping, whatever else, nobody would go, "Well done you." Right? It's but it's one of those things that when we actually hurt ourselves by running over our boundaries, running roughshod over, I need to rest. I need to take a break. We get praised for it. And I think this is the most mind bending situation that so many of us end up in who have learned from a young age that over-functioning is a solution that actually gets us high fives and it gets us up the career ladder, like a Navy SEAL. It gets us prizes, it gets us gold stars, it gets us promotions, it gets us, you know, public acclaim. But the thing is, often with so many of the people that I talk to on my own podcast, that that I interview, that I coach, the sad, dark truth is inside, and this is my experience too, you feel empty. No matter what you achieve, no matter what handbag you buy, no matter what car you have, no matter how much bling bling you have, it all lasts for approximately 37 seconds before it falls into the empty pit. And then it's next, 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 next. Yeah, we try to fill that pit full of anything and everything other than like self-love and self-compassion. Exactly. And this is what what I mean, that going back to this little kid, because when we're small, we we don't have the mental sophistication to say, dad, you know what? I thought about this and I think you're you're wrong about your assessment of me being a slacker or you know <laughs> we just believe what we're told because we're not mature enough. So we believe that we're unlovable. We believe and that becomes that we're not the narrative again and again. But what's interesting, so let's go back to what you're saying. Like it gets us, right, the accolades. It gets us the awards. It gets us the love or praise from our parents or whomever we're seeking that love and praise from until it gets us sick, until we can't move forward. And I would love if you're willing to, to have you talk about like your story. I have goosebumps as I'm saying this to you. Like you really hit the wall with burnout and adrenal fatigue. Can you share that story? Because I think it's worth us saying like that not enoughness is so dangerous, not only in these narratives in our heads, but in what it ultimately does to our bodies. The, the challenge with this is it becomes our identity. It became my identity that I was this person who, you know, I used to have this saying like, oh, well, rest is for wimps. I didn't take holidays. I would just completely work myself 
to the bone. And when you're young, you can be a whippersnapper and bounce back from that. But I think this type of lifestyle started to take its toll as I was creaking into middle age. And it started off really gently. Like it's one of these things, like, you know, how the universe before it hits you over the skull with a two by four, it like tickles you with a feather. And it's like, um, <clears throat> hello, you might want to pay attention. <laughs> and of course, Muggins here just keeps going full throttle, right? Like we're gunning it like Thelma and Louise prior to the cliff. It's like not listening because it doesn't serve you to listen to your body because my body was my bitch. Ever mm -hmm. since I was, you know, I can't even remember how old, when I realized that this was the way to be the golden girl, this became who I was. This became my identity and resting and self-care and all of those things, I could just brush those things aside. So the feather, the gentle nudge started to come as like, I would be falling asleep at really weird times. I used to have this uncle who had narcolepsy. And as kids, we were like totally fascinated by, he'd be sitting at the coffee table and my mom would be serving cake and he'd be just like, <laughs> and oh my I thought, God. shit, am I getting narcolepsy? Like what is wrong with me? I would just start falling asleep, you know, just for a couple of mm. seconds. And then I would start to ache, like as if I had a Charlie horse and then I couldn't sleep. I would just lie awake, tired, but wired. And then what I would, I got into this cycle, which, which plateaued, which meant I wasn't sleeping. So I needed to get myself out of bed. And I felt like, how the hell am I going to drag my carcass from the bed into a cold shower to wake myself up prior to having not one, but now two weapons grade espressos to be able to get a heartbeat going in me. And then my skin, it's vanity that ultimately spurs you. My totally. skin started, I'm like, okay, now I need to go to the doctor. Cause I started getting what my kids called lizard face all around my, it was like this scabby goatee that I got. Like it started under my nose and then it just spread and you can't even put makeup on that shit. Right. Cause yeah. if you've got scabs, it basically looks like trying to put concealer on a cornflake. It's just mm -hmm. not a good look. It's like trying to cover up a popcorn ceiling in a house. <laughs> it's like, it ain't going to work. <laughs> So from a distance, I looked okay, but I started to avoid people because I'm like, they're going to see my lizard face and they're going to see anything that I couldn't go to the gym anymore. Uh, so I was trying to cover up this lizard face. Uh, I couldn't sleep. I was relying on coffee. I needed more of this weapons grade coffee in the afternoon. And then about four o'clock, I called it the witching hour. I could have eaten a bag of salt and vinegar chips, which I never even liked before and open the bag and like lick all the salt out of it. Doritos, everything. You kind of realize it's gross when you're sitting there shoving them in your mouth and like they're falling into your bra and <laughs> uh, you find like, them in your bed later on. <laughs> like, who even are you? And then I, you know, my, my, I was so tense. I could just snap. So when the kids are playing clarinet or something like that, and they hit an off note, you kind of get this blinky facial tick. Uh, I just felt like I could snap at anything. And then I needed wine to sort of bring myself down. So, you know, I'd have a couple of glasses of wine, fall into a deep stupor of a sleep about 10, 11 o'clock, only to wake up at two o'clock, ding, eyes wide open, worrying about all this torrent of anxious thoughts, you know, going full throttle through my head. And then the whole sorry cycle starts again. Mm 
So the lizard face is creeping out at this stage. So I eventually had to go to the doctor because I didn't even want to leave the house. I was so vain and, you know, ended up wearing like really bright lipstick and ended up getting like super thick concealer. Like, you know, people who have um, birthmarks on their face to cover (laughs) stuff. But yeah. I was actually avoiding going to coffee mornings or anything that would have been a perfect time for COVID, but you know, Hey, so I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> bad joke. But yeah, there it is. Truth. Where we're so, Zoom when we needed it. Yeah. I ended up going to doctors. They did blood tests. Like there's nothing wrong with you. So of course the voice in my head is like, you're just lazy. And all of that program, like you need to push harder. So I hired a personal trainer. And I thought, I'm going to find the toughest personal trainer. So I found this guy with like these big oak tree legs who put me on hit interval training, which I'd never heard of, but like, is it tough? Yes, it's the toughest thing we do. So, I mean, I just face palm thinking about my poor old self at the time, but- Oh my God, beating the shit out of your body. And believe me, I say that out of love and empathy because I've been there, Mm. right? Okay, so now the engine's burning real hot and your body's basically breaking down. Yep, I'm, I'm literally shedding my skin. And when I had done some of these high-intensity interval training sessions, he had me running like 30 seconds where the treadmill is going super fast. Like oh, it God. sounds like a whippersnipper. The thing's like, I'm running, running, <laughs> I'm practically foaming at the mouth. And after that session, then he asked me to do some boxing and I completely, fe- I fell on the floor. And I was so embarrassed. I said, oh, I think I just need a break. And I went to look in the mirror in the ladies' toilets and I looked like death. Mm. I thought, who is that haggard person? And it was me. And I went, I went, I said, maybe I'm coming down with something. I was embarrassed to the personal trainer. So I went home, had a shower, and then I completely passed out on the bed. I slept through my, my kids' school pickup. And like all of these shame spirals. And that was really the beginning of the end where that's what I mean about falling asleep at random times. Like as if I had been hit by a tranquilizer gun out cold, like anesthetic type sleep. Yeah. Cause your body's forcing it. It's like, we can't function this way or you aren't going to live to see tomorrow. Correct. So we have a series of two by fours now cracking across my skull because I wasn't listening. And then I started to plummet really fast. I couldn't climb stairs my heart was pounding. Like I'd climb three stairs and I'm holding onto the wall. And like, I still didn't get the memo that the espresso is probably not going to be helping me. And we're stubborn uh, motherfuckers when we keep hearing uh, those voices, right? I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to hear it. What are you pretending not to know? I know this uh, is one of your favorite questions as well, right? Man, I was so committed to that identity. And, you know, going to the doctor a second time, a third time, a fourth time. And one of the doctors finally said like, do you have support at home? Like, do you have people to talk to? And I'm like, I don't think I, I know a lot of people have depression, but like, I still had get up and go. I wanted to do stuff, but I was trapped in this body that felt like it was made out of lead Mm. and nobody could help. They said, Oh, your bloods are normal. And This is why that voice in my head, that inner asshole just kept pushing me harder and harder and harder. And I think that is the beginning. That was the the beginning of the end of the old me. Where I was forced to 
to listen. And I needed a few more examples like that, like collapsing in the gym and going into that tranquilizer type sleep and missing the kids' school pickup. And until, until you surrendered? Oh, it took some time. Like I yeah. went down thrashing. I love reading these stories of people who said, burnout was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I, you know, I gracefully went into the candlelit path of healing. I'm like, I didn't, I thrashed, I kicked, I, I bit, I did everything that I could to fight this mofo. Most of us do. Anybody listening to this going, I'm in that right now. You are not alone. Mandy and I have both been there in our own ugly way. And we're going to help you figure out how to get out of it. So Mandy, what was that wake up for you? Like, when did you finally go uncle surrender? Like if I don't give into this and listen and start to nourish my body and rest and change that narrative in my head, I'm not going to live to see my kids grow up. When I finally had to, I wouldn't say I surrendered at this stage, but I had to say uncle at this stage where I thought, you know what, I'm just going to lie down for a weekend and take some spirulina tablets and maybe, you know, do a yoga class and read a novel. And then I'll be back to my old self. That was what you would look like. (laughs) Spring back to my old self. That was the destination where we must get to. And I was reading a story to my daughter who was six at the time. And I was hoping that she would bring me spot can run because it's like eight pages, bada bang, bada bang, you're done. I've ticked off being a good mother. And then she brings Snow White. I was like, oh, really? You really want to read this one? And we got to the part about the witch and I, my eyes were dropping and she's sort of like poking me in the forehead. Mommy, do listening, do listening, do listening. Like she's prying my eyes open the way oh that kids God. do. So she started drawing rings with her chubby little fingers around my eye sockets. And she said, mommy, you look like the witch. And the witch in Snow White, like she looks like a real piece of work, right? She is like pale as paper and she has these black bags under her eyes. And she was always terrified of the witch. So normally she would have said, oh, mommy, you look like Cinderella or like on a good day, like Rapunzel. But the fact that, you know, kids and leggings and drunks don't lie. Right. So she said, I look like the witch. (laughs) And then she leaned in really close and she held my face in her little hands. And she said, mommy, are you going to get dead? That's heartbreaking, Mandy. And she looked so scared. And I realized at that moment that I had to do something different because I was actually scaring my kid at this stage. And I realized that I needed to really focus. I couldn't deny this anymore. So you would think that would be the catapult that brought me into healing, but (laughs) nope. What I did at that stage was I'm going to repurpose my overachiever and my perfectionist Mm -hmm. to be the best fucking healer on the planet. So I'm going to take mindfulness classes. I'm not going to take it once. I'm going to take it twice. I am going to become the best meditator in the class. I bought all of the gear, like the Lotus candles and the meditation cushions And I'm going to excel at this. And in hindsight, I can just go like, oh, 
bless my cotton socks. Look at me not realizing that the thing that I was trying to use to get back to the old me was actually the thing that I needed to reckon with. But yeah. it's a process of shedding, right? So I, I, and I share this. those internal systems, right? Yes. Yes. Cause those systems, like they're sneaky. You said it before they're insidious. We don't even realize that that's still what's running our life in the background. And you just described such a perfect example where you're like, but no, I'm doing this for good. Really? Yeah. Yeah. How did you start to break those systems down? Like, cause that's really the hard freaking work. Well, this is where we need to put the story on fast forward or on time-lapse photography because we'd be here for a long, long time. For somebody with a PhD, I was really duh in that process because I, it was all I knew. It was all I knew like to give something my all and just to crush it, to bulldoze my way through it. And for me, surrender, like I had some coaches who were talking about like, oh, you just need to surrender. I'm like, well, what does that even mean? Like, doesn't that mean giving up? And I got so irritated. Like, well, fuck you with your surrender. I don't want to surrender. That means- I'm an Enneagram three. <laughs> Hello, have you met me? <laughs> and I remember what really was the apex of my rage was I went to see a woman who wrote this fantastic book called The Joy of Burnout. And I looked her up and said, like, oh, she lives in London. So I booked a session with her. And basically she asked me one question that pushed the big red button inside of me. She said, at the end of the session, she said, what if this is the best you're ever going to feel? And then I got all huffy and puffy. I'm like, no, I'm going to fight this. And she said, you have to surrender, give in, like give up hope. That, that was her phrase, give up hope. It's the only way. And I was in that stage where I was still so full of rage and righteousness to give up what I thought was the only way I could exist. And the only way, like if I wasn't achieving something, what was even the point of me? And she was asking me to give that up. That's your whole identity. Yeah. And she was right. I just didn't want to hear it. And I got so angry. And I remember at the end of the session, this is where like rage on the inside meets people pleaser. So she, I was so angry. I actually had hot tears building up in my eyes. And she said, oh, would you like to book another appointment? And, you know, I hope you got something out of this session. And inside, I'm like, what? what are you talking? And I ended up giving her a hug and said, that was really useful. And inside, like, as soon as I closed the door, I just cried. And I thought, oh, another session to hear that BS. What are you talking about? But of course she was right. Yeah. Give up hope of becoming the you that you were, but it was just like, it was a hard knocks lesson. And as my symptoms just got worse and worse, the more I thrashed against them. There came a time where it even took energy to talk. And I just sort of lay there and watched life happening outside my window and looked at the stripes that the blinds left on the ceiling and feeling my worth as a human dissipating with every day, week, month. And I think that was my drying out period because I literally couldn't do anything. And my husband was taking over the parenting after his big job. And I just thought like, well, I'm not, what kind of a mother am I? What kind of a wife am I? 
And I remember really thinking like, there's not even any point to me. Hmm. I shouldn't even be here. It would just be better if I just disappeared. And that was like the darkest night of the soul was really not even thinking I had any worth. And worse than that was being a burden. So being worthless plus being a burden. And that was, that was tough. How did you shift that identity? Because you know, you've read my book, you and I know each other intimately. You know that one of my big things was like, I proudly strut out the door from Harley and I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm going to nourish my soul. I'm chief soul officer waving all the flags. And then I had a complete and utter meltdown because I realized the only identity I had ever known was tethered to you know, big, sexy global brands and huge titles and paychecks and all the things. And the hardest work I've ever done was to dismantle that and rebuild my identity. And I'm so curious what that looks like for you. I don't even think you and I have gone deep on this. I think part of this surrender meant that I had to ask for help. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to ping pong between where I was at the moment and some of the insights I've had in hindsight. So in hindsight, what I've learned from a lot of the coaches and therapists that I've worked with, that radical independence is a trauma response. When we learned as kids that we couldn't rely on an authority figure in our lives, like in this case, my dad, We were also often praised as kids for having no needs and for being really easy. So in other words, having no needs makes equals being a good girl. And that good girl energy can often blur into perfectionist energy and into, you know, oh, don't worry about me, that martyr, a people pleaser energy And that kind of radical independence energy too. Like, I don't need anybody. I need to be self-sufficient. So I got to a stage where I had to ask for help. And it wasn't a proud moment for me, but I had to first and foremost, allow my friends to bring food at some stages. They didn't ask, could I bring? They showed up with stuff. My husband took over pretty much everything and I had to allow it. So I think that first step of allowing myself to be helped and not feeling guilty about it, because there was, there was nothing more to feel guilty about. Like you, you reach the bedrock of shame and guilt at some stage. And there just comes a a point where it was so nice to have somebody bring me a cup of tea because it would have taken me probably an hour to go crawl up and down the stairs to do it myself. And that was one of the big shifts for me was allowing help. And then that was a portal into actively asking for help and being able to actively ask for help really started to create connection, which surprised me because the way I had always sourced connection in the past was to try to be revered, to try to look perfect, to have all of these achievements that, you know, to be admired. That's what I thought it meant. I was doing those things to be admired and connected, right? To be loved. Going back to, you know, inner five-year-old. But what I started to realize was when somebody sat on the edge of my bed with 
you know, with a paper cone full of carnations and some cosmopolitan magazines and, you know, some pastries and stuff that they brought. And we had a belly laugh about some things. All of a sudden I thought this feels really good. Yeah. And I never had those kind of feelings when I was trying, not that I was consciously trying to connect by being perfect and an overachiever, but now again, like I said, I'm ping ponging between being in the moment. And in hindsight, I realized I had been hustling for worth. And when I could just accept where I was in this moment, there was something beautiful there were green shoots of something and I couldn't even describe what it was, but all I knew was it felt really good. Yeah. You were finally feeling it on the inside, right? Because as you said earlier, all those other things ultimately left you feeling even emptier. And now you're finally feeling like you're filling up. And it was also good not to always be the one offering the help, you know, like it blocks connection when you're like, no, 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 I'm good. I can do things for other people, but then when they offered to reciprocate, this is something else I learned in hindsight is not receiving help is a way of blocking connection. So I think one of the the nascent steps into changing my relationship with overachieving perfectionism, people pleasing, and all the other stooges attached to that behaviorally was really understanding that I had a massive portal for giving and a tiny pinhole for receiving. And part of my healing was recalibrating, allowing myself to receive the love that other people wanted to give me. And that was a major game changer. That's a big one. That's been a huge one for me too. It's like, yeah, I got this. I got this. I'm out in the world. And I've realized, especially in the work that we do, if we haven't calibrated or balanced out that giving and read those giving and receiving portals, we will be absolutely just exhausted and on the floor. It also blocks other people from being willing to accept from us, right? Like there's this, it's this beautiful synergy. It's like this dance of, and really all that matters at the end of the day, Mm. as much as I hate that phrase, all that really matters when we come to the end of our time in this form is who did I help and how did I love? And that started to become so clear to me because actually when you're laying in bed and trying to figure out like, how am I going to get myself down the stairs? How am I going to get myself well enough that I can go to my kid's sports day or to go and see my son do his jazz performance? What have you? How can I do that? All of a sudden, so, so many things fall away that once felt important. Yeah. Like having certain types of clothes or going on certain types of holidays, like all of those status things that because I felt so empty on the inside, I created this hologram of look at me and my, my body and my clothes and my bags and my shoes and my bling and my lifestyle and all of this that is kind of a proxy for how shitty I actually feel about myself on the inside. armor. Totally. It's kind of weird when you're in burnout to like traipse around in your Gucci, right? So it's... <laughs> right? Like it just doesn't, it didn't 
occur to me. So like living in really basic clothes with no makeup and like really paring down to one's essence and realizing that those simple pleasures, you know, being loved and loving, laughter, connection, spending time with your family. I mean, it sounds so basic, but it was a real re re-education or rather an unlearning of all those things that I used to attribute as important. And the things that I I traded my time and energy and money for that turned out to be like, yeah, not actually that important. So a lot of scales. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of scales fell from my eyes during that time. Ooh. And I'm sure the scales from around your mouth, right? I'm guessing because you have beautiful skin now and you didn't have scales when I first met you, girl. So, well, at least not that kind anyway. We're all shedding our scales all the time, aren't we? But no, seriously. So there's one other piece of this that I want to touch on because I know it's been really important in my journey and I suspect it has in yours as well. You talked about loving and being loved and receiving. And yes, all those scales start to fall away. Those things that we realize like no longer matter. They were just built into those old, that old programming, those old internal systems. And the one thing that you didn't say explicitly was self-love and self-compassion. And I'm curious, what was that journey like for you? And how does it play out today? Because the Mandy that I know today and that I've watched evolve and come out on the other side of you know burnout and adrenal fatigue, you have to be really careful because you can slip right back into it. So I've watched you and learned from you when it comes to true self-compassion and some of the practices you put in place. And I'm not saying you're perfect or I'm perfect or anyone, one of us are, but that seems to have played a really powerful role because I've watched you and I've learned from you. So talk a little bit about that. One of the really big moments I have, and I I think it's really important to explain to anybody who might be going through this, that this is not a linear journey. When I was well enough, I was triggered by a particular female coaching client that I took on who was in banking. And she was kind of like the old me that I aspired to be. Like she had this slick suit and, you know, she was kind of going a million miles an hour. And all of a sudden it was like, you know, an alcoholic has a drink again. And I was like in her presence, I'm like, Oh, I need to go back into that type of a lifestyle. So I got my designer clothes out of the back of the closet. And I started stepping on the gas again, when I started to feel a little bit better And I remember thinking, oh, maybe I'm feeling better now. Maybe I can get back to the old me. And, you know, this was all a blip, all of this other stuff. So the unlearning included all the good stuff too, temporarily. And this is where I joined a coaching mastermind. And I thought, okay, now I'm kind of getting back into my A game here. And there was a a coach that I was paired with to do this exercise where we had to give each other radical feedback. And he, he started off by saying to me something along the lines of like, oh, you're so impressive. You know, you, you've got this thriving coaching business and, you know, you always look so put together. And, you know, I was just like inside, I I feel seen, I feel, I feel recognized and, you know, old habits die hard. Yeah. And then he leaned forward and he paused for a moment. He said, I want to tear that shit down. 
And I just thought, I am now entering a parallel universe. I don't think I just heard what he said. And all of a sudden I started to cry, which was really unlike me. And I thought, okay, there's definitely chinks in the armor here because (laughs) I couldn't have possibly gone back to the old me. And what he ended up saying to fast forward this is who you're trying so hard to be with all of this hustling for worth and, you know, driving yourself so hard is so much less interesting than who you really are with all your quirks and foibles and imperfections because we can see them all anyway. So, you know, you trying to do this big razzmatazz over here, you're not really fooling anybody. Yeah. And it was like the ultimate wake up call. So if there was any vestigial hope of getting back to the old me. It was now, you know, he said, all these things that you're trying to do actually block connection. So the more of your freak flag you fly, the more of your imperfection you bring, like it doesn't mean it needs to be a car crash or anything, but you know, it needs to be in a, in a, in a place that's appropriate to show your vulnerability. Like you don't open conversations like this at a cocktail party with somebody that you never met. Like I'm just recovering from burnout. My life's been a shit show for the past. You know, that's, that's not what he was suggesting, but you know, in a place where it's safe and you're in a community, like don't manage your image here. So it was kind of back and forth. It was intermittent. And then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, okay. I get it. And learning when I experimented with letting more of my, going back to that phrase, quirks and foibles and imperfections and chiming in like, oh yeah, me too. I've had that experience where I don't feel so great as opposed to, no, I have to, you know, don't let them see you sweat. No matter how bad you feel, I'm fine. I'm great. Just letting all of that go. That became the place where I actually realized there was something to this, that there was something inherently worthy and lovable about me with all my flaws. In fact, what this coach was saying to me was, it makes you more lovable and more relatable. And we want to hang out with you more when you're not like this wax statue at Madame Tussauds that, you know, we can't relate to, (laughs) we can't relate to, right? I mean, you're making me think of the power of Brene Brown's first book, The Gifts of Imperfection. It's exactly what you're talking about, where it's like, that's the truest form of self-love. When we start to realize that all of our imperfections are actually all of our, our beauty and our uniqueness and what the world needs more of. And actually a lot of times they become our superpowers. Totally. Right. And it's funny that you say that because that was actually one of the first self-help books that I bought that really got me into this. And also another person who I worked with really got me onto Byron Katie. Like, who would you be without your story? And when I started to do some of that work, who would I be without my story? Who would I be without my belief that I wasn't worthy unless I was depleting myself and over-functioning? I would be free. I would be free and I would be so much more fun. I wouldn't be like all clenched up all the time. And I remember I was working with Alison Crow, one of my favorite humans. And she says, girl, you got to take the sticks out of your ass. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Yes. So it was like 
really realizing like, hey, I'm onto something here. And I can't say that I skipped along merrily to this place where I'm like, oh, I love myself. But you know, I could start by being neutral with myself. Like, oh, maybe I'm not gross. Maybe I'm not, you know, unworthy. Maybe I can just be neutral. Maybe I'm okay. That was where I started from. Maybe I'm okay. That's a tiny step. And we both know it's like every badass accomplishment is a series of tiny steps. There's a reason why BJ Fogg's tiny habits is her, right? Is a yeah. really popular book. Oh, I love that. And then you can start to build up because part of it is us believing it. In order for anybody else in the world to believe it, we have to first believe it, right? And the next thing was like being around other people who were also doing that work, which is why it was so important to have a community and so hugely valuable to have people like you who are also doing this work. Because if someone's oblivious to it, it's really hard to get reflections back. So I think being part of a community where there are other like-minded souls who are in their imperfection and, you know, embracing the work as well and can yeah. feed it back to you. It's, it's taking this like, oh, maybe I'm not unworthy. And little by little, these tiny steps forward of maybe I'm actually quite okay. And then there's like staying at that stage for a little while. And then incrementally, it's this place of like, do I love myself every single day at all moments? Like even when I'm standing there looking at my feta white body, looking at to see if my swimming costume fits me from last year. Um, no, like I still have my moments like everybody else, but then I can notice myself starting to be an asshole to myself and zooming in on my imperfections. I'm like, okay, well, I'm that's fair enough. But then I need to offset it by saying, you know what? I have a super cute smile and have great green eyes. And, you know, I have, I have this and I have that. So it's always trying to get back to a place of neutral. If I can get myself to neutral, then I can start to move myself forward from there, but having those mechanisms. So I can't tell myself, don't criticize myself because for somebody who's been a professional self-criticizer for almost 50 years, like that, that's not reasonable. Yeah. You're like the world champion, right? And not, and not just you, we all are. I love what you said. I just, I want to highlight it because I use it, I use it myself too. I'm like, pick one thing, Shelly. When I'm looking in the mirror, pick one thing. And some days I'm like, fuck, my hair looks good. My hair looks good. I may not like that my tummy's rolling over my jeans. I may not think that I'm the perfect weight and I never will be. I may be critical of how my arms are looking in a particular shirt, whatever. But pick one thing that you love about yourself. I usually pick my eyes. Same. I love that you said your green eyes. So I'm usually like, your eyes, girl, your eyes. Stay focused on the eyes. <laughs> Exactly. So it's like, but it is a way it's like a step into the portal of not being an asshole to ourselves. And it's like, it's like the practice of gratitude because it is a practice of gratitude. Like you can't be angry and all huffy and yucky and shit all over yourself. If you're being grateful for something, right? Gratitude begets gratitude begets some level of happiness, right? So it's a cool way to just take baby steps. Um, because I know you're the, 
Well, you're at least one of my masters in this, somebody who I learn from all the time. I now call these people soul models. So you are one of my soul models, like just a a role model in really staying aligned. And that does not mean you're doing it perfectly all the time or that you're showing up in a, you know, in a particular way every day. But what I do love about you and what I have learned so much from you on is that you've got daily practices that you now have in place. You've put in place because you've got a busy life. You could very easily, and I know you sometimes do, get caught up in all the things. You've got kids. You've got a full coaching practice. You've just finished a book proposal that's being shopped around in the world. You've got a husband. You you have all these responsibilities. And yet I watch you and you are so much better at that kindness to yourself at going, Oh, it's time to pause and sit on the couch and drink my tea. And can you just talk to us about what some of those practices look like? Cause I think the practical is really important. Mm, I'm so glad you asked that. One of my soul mentors is a woman called Catherine Kell. And she's a mindfulness teacher and a self-compassion teacher. And one of the things I learned from her, and I sort of listened to it patiently as she told me about it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. Let's just moving swiftly along. And then um, it just came at the right time where I needed something new to try because I had exhausted my toolkit. And I thought, well, let's give this thing a try. Like I had zero or very low expectations of this. Like this is one of those Omi things that you that crunchy people do. Like my inner asshole is like super judgmental. Tie-dye, whale sounds, Birkenstocks, you know, this kind of stuff. And I thought, okay, let's give it a try. And it's a really super three-step thing that I've now habitualized that I don't even need to think about the steps anymore, but I'll go through them here because I think they could be useful. So if I find myself, let's just use the example of like hustling for worth in a certain situation. If I find myself hustling for worth in a certain situation, say I'm triggered by a specific type of individual and all of a sudden I feel like I need to show up as like the super achiever or be be a real smart ass or that I need to look like I'm an important person. And I feel the energy of that. Like I feel there's a specific feeling to that. And if I can notice that I'm having that sensation, Or maybe a better example is like, if I'm triggered and I'm really getting crusty with the kids, for example, like I just feel that rage coming up and I know I'm about to blow. The first thing like is if I can identify what that feeling is, identify it, name it to tame it, as Dan Siegel says. Uh, If I can say I'm feeling frustration and the thing is you don't need to say this out loud, but it's just that I've trained myself that the word pops up frustration or hustling for worth or whatever word or phrase comes up. So that's the first step. It's like dead simple. The second step, and this has this weird effect of dissipating the energy from this feeling, is that knowing that there are people in this moment all around the world that are feeling this exact same feeling. Yes. You are there not are alone. People, and there's, I don't know what it is. It's a pin to the balloon of the feeling. It just removes my shoulder. Like I get a neck again, like my shoulders drop a couple of inches. (laughs) So you know, that's my favorite phrase that you use. So thank you for weaving it in. (laughs) 
And I know that when there are other people experiencing this, there's something about connection that as somebody who's been radically independent and has been praised for that, all of a sudden makes me feel like, hey, I'm not alone. I'm not like some freak for having these feelings. It's normal. The other way of being wasn't normal. This is normal, honey. It's okay. And the third step is, what do I need in this moment? And you know what? It could just be that uh, I just need a couple of deep breaths or I need to go and stand on the back patio with a cup of tea and just chill the fuck out. Or I need a hug or I need a pee or I need something. Like it's usually a dead simple thing. So naming the feeling, whatever it is, just for a moment. And like, I have this sort of pan vision of like all the mothers or all the the women hustling for worth all over the world feeling angsty and their jaws are locked and when i re- when i see that all of a sudden i can have compassion for them and that ricochets back to me yeah. oh i can feel compassion for them and i'm i'm part of this too so hey i deserve a bit of compassion and if i can learn how to self soothe knowing that i also deserve compassion I don't know why this works, but I'm so grateful to Catherine for teaching this to me because it's that. tangible. If someone it just is. says, oh, just love yourself, you know, it doesn't, I'm like, well, wah, wah. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I love it because it's, it also sort of takes us back to that beautiful place of looking through the lens of our shared humanity. I mean, nothing brings us together more than realizing like, this is the human condition. (laughs) It is, it is. And it can, I know going through all of the things that you and I have gone through separately and together, our own flavors and varieties of it has brought us closer together. Like our relationship hasn't been founded on, you know, gold medals and accolades, Yeah, of course, there have been some really cool things that have happened to both of us along the way. But I would say the depth of our connection and our soul sisterhood is because we've gone through the rough shit together and we've spoken it out loud and we've named it and we haven't felt alone. And then we've shared that connection. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. And I think this, it sounds like such an unorthodox antidote to burnout and adrenal fatigue. And I mean, this is not for this episode, but of course I had the supplements, the acupuncture and all the adrenal support and medical functional medicine interventions as well. Okay. So it's not just that I connected with people and, you know, we had tea and laugh and all of this. It's, it's really an entire shift in how I am in relation to myself. I don't need to do it alone. I can seek connection. I can show up as my real self. And that includes self-care and looking after myself and being at least neutral with myself and having those intermittent moments of self-love that are often come back to me because someone like you has reflected them back to me. So if you're listening and you're thinking, oh, all this self-love stuff, I don't know about this. This is the power of connection. And sisterhood, brotherhood is when we have people who were suffering with, you know, at at slightly different times, often we're going through things. So usually one person will be in a better place than the other and can hold space for you. 
it's that person's reflections back to how much you've gone through, how great you're doing, you know, how much there is for you to look forward to, all the things you have to be grateful for, what a badass you are. It's those reflections that can make you go, huh, yeah, she's right, actually. So yeah. self-love doesn't have to look like you look in the mirror and you're, you're smooching yourselves and winking at yourself. It can look like that, but it can also be believing that what your beloved say to you is true. Yeah. But they're not just trying to be nice to you. And what a powerful reminder that we can only ever compare ourselves to ourselves. Right. And that's what we so often reflect back to each other is like, Mandy, I remember where you were 20 years ago when I met you. I remember the struggle that you were in. And I reflect on that in this conversation, how much you've learned, how far you've come. It's not about Mandy compared to Shelly or Shelly compared to Mandy. We can only ever compare ourselves to who we were yesterday, to who we were last year and hope that we're taking those baby steps forward. So it's such a powerful reminder and a reminder of like, you know, being how we connect, right? Because it comes through those vulnerable moments. And you said it earlier, it comes from asking for help, right? From being there. What do I need in this moment? And also what you and I ask each other all the time, how can I support you? Yes. One of the most powerful questions, how can I support you? And it's something you can self-administer. So I, going back to some of the rituals, aside from that kind of three-step self-compassion piece is I've really started to tune in. Like I know that there's a certain time of day where my energy dips and I'm kind of asking my body part of self-compassion as a practice, as a really tangible thing is learning that I have to respect my body. I have nowhere else to live. It's not like my head can pack up and go like, we're out of here. We're looking for a new dig. No, I need to look. (laughs) Exactly. So it's like, we need to find a way to coexist, right? So I've become way better at checking in with myself from the neck down and understanding that we can all get along if I can just learn to listen to what it is that my body needs. And I have a regular meditation practice now, which has become non-competitive. I stopped tracking my thing on Headspace oh because I was just, <laughs> mustn't miss a day and lose my, my streak. Um, I have, I, you know, I, I really try to cultivate good sleep. I've, I'm trying to, right now, the only exercise that I'm doing is walking. So as opposed to, you know, like my foaming at the mouth, doing my boxing and my hit intensity, high interval incident, can't even say my brain doesn't even want to say it. No, that stuff that I used to do. uh, I'm just not there yet. And I may never be there yet. And that's okay because I don't need to project my fears into the future. I can just be at peace. I don't need to like it, but it's coming back to this place. I can be neutral about it. I don't need to tell myself stories that this is going to be forever or go dredging for evidence from the past. It's just in this moment, this is where I'm at right now. And I think I've really started to learn in very applicable terms, what does it mean to surrender? What does acceptance mean? And it doesn't mean giving up. It's just telling the truth to ourselves. 
And I think the thing with perfectionism um, and overachieving and overfunctioning anyway is we're not in integrity with our truth. We're blocking our ears and going, <laughs> we're not listening to the reality of what is happening in our lives. We're living our fantasy selves. And the, my fantasy self wants to have 700 items on my to-do list. It wants to like waft through the day with consistent energy. And it wants to do what, you know, have look cute in the process and have great hair and what all of these things, but that's not the reality. So I think this whole thing about surrender and I just, I didn't like the word. It just irked me for some reason, but acceptance sits better with me somehow. It's the lesser of two evils for me. Acceptance is like telling the truth to myself of where I am in this moment. What does my body need in this moment? And I'm doing it, as I said, because I have nowhere else to live. And little yeah. by little, I'm learning that this actually serves me. So it's, it's a slow, steady evolution. It's so powerful. And it comes back to some of the Byron Katie work. And we're, I'll make sure we put in the show notes, Byron Katie work that you were referring to earlier. And it makes me think like that is all grounded in acceptance. And it's all grounded in us poking holes of the stories of those fantasy selves and saying, how true is that? How true is that really? And getting honest with ourselves, that honesty leads to integrity, leads to living our truth and ultimately leads to, you know, greater health and well-being and fulfillment. They're all connected and they may sound like big hoity-toity lofty terms, but it's possible one tiny step at a time. And you've so beautifully taken us through your own journey and just some of your practices. And I can listen to you all day because I do listen to you all day because we get to exchange voice memos. But I'm so, so, so excited that I got to share a little glimpse of you with the Rebel Souls community. And I'm already thinking we need to do a part two because there are so many other things I want to dive into. So stay tuned for that invitation. And fellow Rebel Souls, you haven't heard the last of our dear Mandy, but if they want to go deeper, where and how can they find you to get more of your yumminess and your language and all the beautiful stuff you're putting out in the world? I would love to hang out with kindred spirits on the squares on Instagram. I'm at, at Mandy Leto. And I have a new podcast that is launching imminently called Enough, the podcast where I have deep and sort of fun conversations too. So it's not like I try to make it not super heavy, but conversations about people who are grappling with perfectionism, people pleasing, burnout, adrenal fatigue, and how they found their way through to the other side, what worked, what didn't work. Because I think the more we talk about this and we blast open the feelings of isolation, feelings that nobody else can possibly understand this, the more we are likely to reach out, to accept help, to connect, to find a new way of being in relation with ourselves and to start releasing our white knuckle grip on this fantasy self that has been on life support way, way too long. So way too long. Instagram and enough the podcast. Yay. And by the time this drops, your podcast will already be live. Hopefully one day soon after that, my episode will be out on your podcast too. Yes. So yeah. 
I'm super excited. We'll make sure all that gets into the show notes. And I'm I'm really honored and I'm I'm serious. I do want to do a part two because I'm like, I was looking down at like all my favorite Mandy things that I was writing down. And I'm like, all right, we got to get back to that. We'll keep diving into like imposter syndrome and so many other juicy things. So stay tuned. And I can't wait to for everybody to just experience you more. I love you so much. And I'm so glad we have the connection we have in our little WhatsApp lifeline. <laughs> Thank you. Me too. It's been such an honor to hang out with you and with your people. Thank you for asking me. Oh my God. Of course. All right, Rebel Souls. Stay bold, brave, and badass. And we'll see you again next week. Bye. Hey, Rebel. Thanks for listening. If you were inspired by what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review so our fellow Rebel Souls can find us. We have big work to do together. And if you want to dive deeper, head on over to my website at sylbatical.com and follow me at sylbatical on Instagram. Until next time, stay bold, brave, and badass, and never stop asking, what am I rebelling for? <laughs>